1: A Pakistani APT is fishing for information in both India and Afghanistan. A Colorado electrical utility continues to recover from a cyber incident it sustained early last month. The GAO tells the U.S. Congress that the nation still lacks a comprehensive cybersecurity strategy. The Missouri Highway Patrol continues, for some reason, to investigate a responsible disclosure as a criminal hack. Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf on hackers targeting Minecraft. Our guest is Blake Darche from Area 1 Security with research on phishing, and it appears Moscow thinks a Group IB leader outed Fancy Bear to the U.S. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, December 3rd, 2021. Security firm Malwarebytes has released additional information on SideCopy, a Pakistani APT that Facebook last month had identified as prospecting personnel of the former pre-Taliban government of Afghanistan with romantic lures. SideCopy used new variants of the Steeler data theft tool, and the information it collected included access to government portals, Facebook, Twitter, and Google credentials, banking information, and password-protected documents. In addition to Afghanistan, SideCopy seems mostly interested in collecting against India. Some of the new infection vectors SideCopy is using include malicious Microsoft publisher documents and trojanized applications. The hook is commonly embedded in an archive file. The fish bait itself tends to fall into two broad categories. The first of these, malware Malwarebytes calls targeted lures, that is, bait designed to attract the eye of specific victims. The company's researchers say, quote, We believe this category is very well customized to target government or military officials. End quote. This variety of fish bait consists of reports on military and intelligence activities, including documents that describe various aspects of military education. The second kind of lure Malwarebytes calls generic— adapted to use in the broad net of a spam campaign. These are, for the most part, either pictures of young women or resumes that purport to record young women's careers. The name SideCopy is derivative, a coinage intended to suggest the way in which SideCopy's infection chain appears to be trying to imitate the one used by the SideWinder APT, Sidewinder, by the way, is a suspected Indian APT noted for its focus on South Asian targets, which suggests that Sidecopy may be waving a false flag, small enough that it might be better described as a false fig leaf. Sidecopy itself seems to have some other significant similarities with Transparent Tribe, and if you're filling out your APT Scorecards org chart— Consider penciling them in as a transparent tribe subunit. Malwarebytes points out that Cisco Talos and SecRite both have good background material on side copy, a recommendation we'll happily second. ZDNet reports that Delta Montrose Electric Association, DMEA, which operates in the U.S. state of Colorado, continues to work toward recovery of systems affected by an unspecified cyber incident the company detected in early November. Delta Montrose's CEO published a letter to the cooperative's members this Monday in which she explained, quote, on November 7th, 2021, we discovered a targeted effort to access portions of our internal network system by an unauthorized party. This resulted in multiple days of downtime for DMEA's internal network. We could not access or operate certain systems such as phone, email, and payment processing, end quote. The cooperative doesn't call the incident a ransomware attack, but it sounds like it. Delta Montrose's live update page describes the episode as follows, quote, DMEA lost 90% of internal network functions and a good portion of our data, such as saved documents, spreadsheets, and forms, was corrupted. It also impacted our phones and emails. Our power grid and fiber network remain unaffected by the incident, end quote. The incident seems to have affected billing most severely, and the cooperative thinks it may be able to restore payment services to its kiosks by Monday, but that in any case it will suspend any penalties or disconnections until January 31st at least. The update page says that a forensic inspection of the co-op's networks has convinced it that no sensitive data were compromised. Quote, Immediately following the incident, DMEA retained forensic experts to perform an investigation. The forensic team confirmed that there was no breach of sensitive data within our network environment. We always encourage all members to follow best practices for password security, including using two-factor authentication whenever possible, end quote. A report the U.S. Government Accountability Office delivered to Congress yesterday makes the case that U.S. critical infrastructure remains at serious risk from cyberattacks. The report calls out what it sees as a lack of a comprehensive cybersecurity strategy and concludes, quote, The federal government needs to move with a greater sense of urgency in response to the serious cybersecurity threats faced by the nation and its critical infrastructure, end quote. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch has published an update concerning the discreditable episode in which the governor of the U.S. state of Missouri denounced one of the paper's reporters as a criminal hacker for disclosing the discovery of an exposed database to the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Apparently, the department had prepared a statement thanking the reporter for bringing the matter to their attention, but that statement was preempted the following day by the governor's call for prosecution. The Post-Dispatch writes that it obtained an email under Missouri Sunshine Laws that gave the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education's first proposed public response. Quote, In an October 12 email to officials in Governor Mike Parson's office, Mallory McGowan, spokeswoman for a DESE, sent proposed statements for a press release announcing the data vulnerability the newspaper uncovered. We are grateful to the member of the media who brought this to the state's attention, said a proposed quote from Education Commissioner Margie Van Deven, end quote. That, of course, was not the way the governor decided to frame the incident. At a news conference he held on October 14th after the story ran, Governor Parson said, quote, We will not let this crime against Missouri teachers go unpunished, and we refuse to let them be a pawn in the news outlet's political vendetta, not only are we going to hold this individual accountable, but we will also be holding accountable all those who aided this individual and the media corporation that employs them, quote. The report also provides additional grounds for thinking DESE simply had a misconfigured database readily discoverable from the Internet, that the reporter hacked nothing, and that indeed there was no network intrusion. The Post-Dispatch didn't run the story until October 14th after it had notified DESE and after the department had taken steps to secure the data. The governor's office has apparently continued to double down on its claim that the reporting was politically motivated criminal hacking. In any case, as of yesterday, the Post-Dispatch writes, the Missouri Highway Patrol still had an open investigation into the case. The CyberWire contacted the governor's office in October about the incident, but has not received a response. Bloomberg Businessweek describes the ongoing Russian treason prosecution of Group IB executive Ilya Sokhov, The Kremlin believes him responsible for tipping the U.S. off to Fancy Bears' activities around U.S. elections. Details of the charges are state secrets, but three sources have told Bloomberg that Sokhov provided information to the U.S. that enabled them to identify the GRU operators responsible for Fancy Bears' attempts— to meddle with the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Group IB, whose headquarters moved from Moscow to Singapore in 2019 as the company sought to develop an international practice, has cultivated relationships with a number of non-Russian law enforcement operations. It's now in a position of being mistrusted by Russia while not being fully trusted by the U.S., Bloomberg Businessweek reports. There's also, the report says, the possibility of some guilt by association. Quote, a central figure is Sergei Mikhailov, 47, a former senior official with the Federal Security Service, or FSB, the main domestic successor to the Soviet-era KGB, who led investigations into cyber criminals in Russia. Mikhailov was arrested in Moscow in December 2016, one month after the U.S. presidential election, and charged with treason. He was convicted in 2019 and sentenced to 22 years in prison after a trial in which Sokhov was a key witness for the prosecution, according to Mikhailov's defense team, which has accused Sokhov of providing false testimony, End quote. So much for turning state's evidence. Sokhov faces up to 20 years in a labor camp should he be convicted. He has from the outset denied the charges and says he provided no secret information to foreign intelligence services. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. The folks at Area One Security recently released a study titled, It Started Out With a Fish, highlighting the serious potential impact of business email compromise. Blake Darche is co-founder and chief security officer at Area One Security.
2: I think one of the top things there is, you know, supply chain compromises, where we see an organization have a variety of partners, one of those partners gets compromised, and then that partner is used to try to hack into your system. Or they might be used to try to impersonate you, impersonate that vendor or partner to your organization in order to move money fraudulently. So there's a lot of different supply chain weaknesses that we see out there. And I think the supply chain problem is only growing in magnitude as more and more organizations adopt a digital transformation as part of COVID-19 and just general IT trends. There's more and more attack surface for attackers to hit, and we see that on a on a continual basis. I think Microsoft SharePoint is a great example where Microsoft, you know, pretty much has lost full control of Microsoft SharePoint, and Microsoft SharePoint and Microsoft OneDrive are two of the top attack vectors today on the internet, and Microsoft is almost powerless to stop it, and um, it, it's a real problem. There was a recent case where uh, someone on Twitter that was a former Microsoft employee was critiquing Microsoft for actually just turning a blind eye to the problem because so many organizations running Office 365 had been compromised, that they were all hosting ransomware now, and people were getting hit with ransomware at these different organizations due to one organization's misconfiguration. So I think there's a, a wide variety of attacks and a wide variety of pieces of cloud infrastructure that facilitate those attacks.
1: Are there any areas of this that you feel aren't getting the attention they deserve? Are, are, there, are there elements of this that, that are that are being ignored? I think by and large, BEC attacks do not get the attention they
2: deserve because they're very difficult to kind of quantify if, hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, much more so than Apt attacks where a hacker came in, took over an organization and stole a bunch of data. People can wrap their head around, people stealing a bunch of data and trying to steal source code. But I think in terms of just the day-to-day grind, when you have, you know, you might get two or three BEC attacks a week where someone's trying to move, you know, $50,000, $30,000, $100,000, and then another week it's $50 million. It's just continual, if you know what I mean. And um, people are really underestimating the number of BEC attacks there are. By our estimation, we were comparing against some FBI reporting. We think BEC attacks are underestimated by over
1: 90%. So, I mean, given that, what are your recommendations then? I mean, how how should organizations best protect themselves against this?
2: I think people need to, uh, organizations need to take advantage of, you know, next generation anti-phishing technologies to look for you know inconsistencies in behavior, in language, in the way an attack is written. You know, there's several different companies out there that can help in this space. They also need to be very mindful of you know the email attacks that might lead to a voice style phishing attack, where the user might try to authenticate uh, you on the phone with a you know one of these fake impersonation generators, where it'll mask and make it seem like your voice is someone mm-hmm. else's. And I think, you know, you need to be mindful of all these things. You need to add, you know, really defense and depth. It's kind of like peeling back the onion. You can never have too many layers of security.
1: How do you balance that though, you know, without having too much friction for your users?
2: I think a lot of good security solutions don't impact users on a continual basis, Mm. right? And they should be kind of more transparently in the background, right? And the more The user is being kind of like impacted on a minute-to-minute basis on everything they do. You know, the less functional that security actually is. And in the perfect world, you know, you just do not want to have to be impacting your users that much. I think the most famous example of you know user impact is two-factor authentication, right? Right. You know, it's a it's a real pain. Everyone needs to do it, but at the end of the day, without two-factor authentication, you know, that's a real vector that get an account. You know, password guest, basically, with a brute force attack.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. You know, I find myself personally on those occasions when I'm, you know, banging my head against the desk because I'm in some sort of two-factor authentication rat hole. I just take a deep breath and remind myself, this is for security. This is for security, you know?
2: Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I I run into the same challenge where you know, it's like oh there's two I have to have two factor authenticate to something, like my phone's out of power or right. Uh, my keys somewhere else, and I'm like, Oh yeah. like, why now? You know what I mean? Right. And it's always when you don't want to do it, right? So like <laughs> you're trying to finish something easy up then it's like, no, it's time to re authenticate right now. And you're like, seriously? Right right now? Uh- yeah, every single
1: time. No, my my old college roommate swore that uh, all electronic devices come equipped with a critical need sensor, so they know when when you need them most, and that's when they decide to fail.
2: I would agree with your college roommate <laughs> for
1: sure. That's Blake Darshay from Area One Security. Visit vanta.com/cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com/cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D operations at Arctic Wolf and also the founder and editor-in-chief at Code Like a Girl. Dinah, always great to have you back. You know, uh, my two sons uh, have, and particularly my older boy, was very, very active uh, in the Minecraft world. Spent spent, and continues to spend a lot of time there. Uh, And lately, uh, there have been some hackers who have been going after Minecraft. What's the latest there, Dinah?
0: Yeah, this this headline got me right away. Um, so I was scrolling through the headlines, and I saw this like headline that's like ransomware targeting Minecraft, and I'm like, Minecraft, their children. What are they, what are they? <laughs> what are you encrypting? They're like, they're cool. Their cool house they built there, the the farm. What's going on? And well, okay, so they're not actually going after kids. So there's this subculture with Minecraft that I wasn't aware of, which is there's these things called alt lists, and they, I guess, have stolen Minecraft accounts, right? So usernames Mm. and passwords of stolen Minecraft accounts, and uh, people go and buy those so that they can go and do untoward things on Minecraft that would get them banned. Um, So they can go bully people. They can go do things like that, right? Oh, and so the hackers are actually targeting those alt lists. So when somebody downloads one of those, they think they're they've purchased an alt list where they're going to get, you know, extra free accounts on Minecraft. And then what they're actually getting is, you know, ransomware. So as soon as they, you know, open that file up, then their whole system gets encrypted. Oh. So like the question is are they are are the ransomware people helping us like pe- getting people to <laughs> stop was, buying was, the yeah. altless?
1: Right, I was thinking the same thing. Like, who's the victim here? Or you know, like, or how, I guess, how much empathy should we have for people getting their their hands slapped when they're out to do something bad to begin with? I'm I'm not sure.
0: On a platform that's mostly children.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. true. Two wrongs don't make a right. But
0: like, think about the mess that would be like if your son did that. Oh my god. He didn't know like what what you know what an alt list was or something. Downloaded it mm-hmm. and now all of your stuff is encrypted. Brutal
1: on the home computer. Yeah, right? on the, the home computer, computer exactly. Yeah, I mean it's a great point, and I guess uh, I guess what the take home here is that if you have someone in your life who's playing Minecraft, you might want to drop this information to them in case they maybe I don't know thinking of dabbling in some of these alt lists.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's about all you can do.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, interesting stuff. Dinah Davis, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at TheCyberWire.com. Be sure to tune in to this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Christo Boucher from NCC Group's Research and Intelligence Fusion team. We're discussing their research into a cyber criminal group they call SnapMC. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Brew Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Filecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. experience your world secured visit zscaler.com zero trust